Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. And Dr. Scripture, today we're going to continue our consideration of the fourth day of creation, what you referred to as the monkey wrench day. Yeah, you like that, don't you, Scott? <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I just like saying that. <laughs> now, for those who may have not have heard our previous program, what do you mean by the monkey wrench day? All right. Well, without repeating everything from the previous program, I call the fourth day of creation the monkey wrench day because when you think about the normal process of an evolutionary explanation for the origin mm. of the universe and earth and life, the creation account, you know, fairly follows that progress. You start with the Big Bang, you know, the creation of matter and energy, and then the, the formation of the atmosphere and land. And even then you get to the plants and the water animals and then the land animals. But on the fourth day of creation, God, quote unquote, throws a monkey wrench in mm-hmm. that whole scenario because The Bible says that God created the sun, moon, and stars on the fourth day of creation. And there's no way that you can correlate that kind of uh, process with the theory of evolution. So for me personally, because of what God creates on day four, as it's clearly revealed there, I had to jettison my attempt to harmonize the theory of evolution with the biblical story of creation. Now, there are those who still do try to harmonize that. That's right, that's right. And one of the explanations that's often used to avoid this monkey wrench (laughs) is to interpret on day four that that means that it's when God caused the sun, moon, and stars to appear. Right. They'd already been created, and now they were visible. That's right. So the idea is that, well, of course, God had to have created the sun, you know, before the earth. Mm. So on the fourth day, maybe the atmosphere just clears up or something, and, and... the sun, moon, and stars are now visible on Earth. That's to hang on to that more standard idea of the origin of universe and the evolution of the universe, starting from the Big Bang and proceeding all the way on through Earth and then life and so forth. Now, you've mentioned that this viewpoint is the position of those who believe in what we call progressive creation. That's true. And it's also the viewpoint of those who believe in the gap theory. Yeah, and I don't want to speak too broadly. I know that that is definitely the position for the progressive creationists. I don't want to speak too broadly for those that believe in a gap theory. Uh, But uh, if we take what Schofield says in the Schofield Bible Mm -hmm. that had a lot of notes that were teaching the gap theory, this is a couple generations ago, we'll see that indeed that was his perspective. That was his interpretation of how you could have an old universe and have the sun, moon, and stars there on the fourth day, that they simply appeared there on the fourth day. So let me read the note, and actually it's his notation on Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, when God creates light, Hmm. but he makes that comment about the sun, moon, and stars appearing. Let me just read the note. Here it says, in verse 3, of course, God said, let there be light, and there was light. So in reference to the notation there, let there be light, the note says this, neither here nor in verses 14 through 18 is an original creative act implied. A different word is used. The sense is made to appear, made visible. The sun and moon were created in the beginning, quote unquote. The light, quote, of course, came from the sun, but the vapor diffused the light. Later, the sun appeared in an unclouded sky. So that's the notation that Schofield puts in his Bible, sort of promoting that gap theory idea. So there are many people who believe, and there's different areas within the creation camp, that All that is taking place there on the fourth day is that the sun, moon, and stars appeared. God had previously created them. 
So in our previous program, toward the end, we had just begun to consider the specific words used in the text and how they would seem to contradict this whole appearance idea. That's right. In those verses 14 through 18, as Schofield refers to, there are ideas there that don't have anything to do with God saying he created the sun, moon, and stars. In fact, the very beginning, and we'll read this again in just a moment, God is dealing with the reason that he made the sun, moon, and stars. But there are words that are used that would dictate the idea that that God is making them. And what God is doing day by day is revealing what he did on those specific days. So from my perspective, I find it difficult to ignore the simple words there in verse 17 and verse 16, where God is talking about making these things. I think a simple <laughs> understanding is he made them there on that fourth day. So let's read the text again, starting at verse 14, and see what the Word of God specifically says, and then we'll talk about some of those specific words that are used. Verse 14 of Genesis 1, Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. Now here's the key in verse 16. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. Now there we should understand that the word made, asa is the Hebrew word, is not there when it talks about the stars. It just really could be translated and the stars also. Verse 17. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. There again, we have this sense that God set them there in the heavens. And the whole context of this Mm. verse is that this is happening on the fourth day. So they hadn't been in place before. uh, I would suggest that that's the simple understanding. So to interpret this to mean, well, he had already placed them. Now they're just appearing is to really sort of ignore these specific words where it says God made these lights. Then in verse 17, he placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. Verses 18 and 19 to finish the day then. And to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning a fourth day. Now verse 17 I think is especially neat because, you know, what we are talking about is God placing the sun and the moon and the stars around the pre-existent earth. Mm. Uh, We always have this sense that, you know, that the earth sort of is put there at the perfect distance from the sun The moon is there in the perfect distance, you know, from the earth. But here, the word of God is indicating that God placed those things there around the earth, which was already created. Now, some versions in verse 17 translate the word, and God set them in the expanse of the heavens. What I'm reading from is the New American Standard, and it says, and God placed them in the expanse of the heavens. You know, this word placed or set in some places in the Old Testament, is translated hang. Let me read one of the places. It's in Exodus chapter 26, and it's in reference to the curtain in the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 26, and I'll start reading at verse 31. God is giving these instructions, and you shall make a veil of purple and blue and scarlet material, fine twisted linen. It shall be made with cherubim, the work of a skillful workman, and you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold. Now there where it says, and you shall hang it. That's the very same word that's there in Genesis 1.17, where my version says, and he placed them. It would have been a very legitimate translation to say, and he hung them. Now doesn't it somewhere in the Bible say he hangs the earth on nothing? It does. And actually, Scott, I looked that up. 
And that is a different word for uh, hanging. In oh, fact, that word hang is the one that they use when they talk about hanging a person on the gallows. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> so there are a couple of different words that can be translated hang. One uh, really generally refers to hanging a curtain, like here in this mm. Exodus passage. Another one for hanging a person or hanging the earth in empty space. So God didn't hang the earth on a gallows. <laughs> so when we think about the specific words that he's using, I just have a difficult time dismissing that God is giving a very, very clear indication that he made them and that he hung them, he placed them there in space around the earth there on that fourth day of creation. I always enjoy the visual picture of God placing them or hanging them. Imagine the next time you hang the Christmas tree ornaments <laughs> on your on your tree. You know how we take that little bulb, you know, yep. and uh, hang it on the bough and put it in just the right place. That's a really easy thing to do. I get the sense that God is almost giving us this picture that he hung those stars in space. He put that sun 93 million miles away from earth and he hung it there just as simply as you or I would hang one of those pretty shiny bulbs on our Christmas tree in December of every year. Another beautiful visual picture of God uh, hanging the heavens, so to speak, is in Isaiah chapter 40, that great passage that speaks of God's power in creation. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, listen to what it says. It is he who sits above the vault of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. So here it isn't talking about him hanging the sun, moon, and stars. Now it's referring to him as stretching them out like a curtain. But we keep getting this picture of as we would hang a curtain, as we would just place something in space or exactly. on the wall, there's God placing those heavens, the sun, moon, and stars in space. And very specific placement too. Very specific, Scott. That's a good point because as I've already mentioned, that sun is 93 million miles from earth and it's in the perfect place so that the earth doesn't get too hot or too cold. If the earth was a lot closer, then uh, what we would have is no liquid water. And of course, life could not exist on the earth. If the earth was much further away from the sun, then we would only have frozen water. And again, life could not exist on the earth. So that sun is placed the perfect distance from earth for life to be able to exist on earth. Same goes for the moon, which is a quarter of a million miles away. Because of the moon's distance from the earth, we have the tides and those tides allow earth to support life. Speaking of that distance that the moon is from the earth, that also gives us a reason to be able to determine the seasons. The moon's phases, as we often call them, whether it's a new moon, that tiny little thin crescent, or the full moon where we see the whole moon there, is part of the reason that we are able to keep track of what season of the year it is. And of course, this is what God is stating that that sun, moon, and stars will enable us to do, to keep track of the seasons. Where does he say that? He says that back in verse 14, where he very, very specifically is telling us the reason why he creates the sun, moon, and stars. Let's read verse 14 again. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for this purpose. I'm expanding that purpose clause here, but it could easily be translated that way. And let them be for this purpose, for signs and for seasons and for days and years. You know, without the moon and without the sun, of course, we wouldn't have any seasons. There would be some light coming from some source. We don't know what it might be, but the earth would just be turning under some light source and we would have no seasons. We would have no phases of the moon or anything like that. We wouldn't be able to keep track of time 
other than it's light, it's dark, and how often that happens. But because of the earth turning under the sun, we have that simple sense of being able to look up, and if the sun is directly above, we know it's about noontime. We also know east and west. We know that the sun rises in the east. We know it sets in the west, and so if it's sort of on either horizon, we sort of tend to know that, well, there's the east over there or the west over there. But if the sun was just all lit up during the day, we wouldn't be able to tell directions. We wouldn't be able to tell the time of day. So it's interesting here that because of the sun, moon, and stars, something that we take for granted, we indeed are able to tell the time of day. We're able to tell even directions. But I think one of the most interesting things that God says about the sun, moon, and stars is the ability for them to give us signs. What are we talking about when we talk about signs? Well, we'll have to wait for the next program to consider in detail what those signs might be. And so what does it say about the sun, moon, and stars? Genesis 1.17. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And that's not what I say. That's what scripture says.